Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Show. And we are incredibly excited to be here with Hari Ziad and um, to talk about their book, Black Boy Out of Time. And um, in fact, I'm going to have Angie read. I don't have my glasses. Oh, <laughs> this is like... <laughs> Okay, I will read, so, so as not to force you to put these glasses on, I will read their, their bio. Um, am I saying your name correctly? Hari, yes. All right, how about Ziad? Ziad, Ziad. Yeah, we're doing it. <laughs> I will say for your dog, I, I looked it up and there seemed to be two pronunciations. Yoni is her name. Keone? Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hari Ziad is a cultural critic, a screenwriter, and the editor-in-chief of Race Fader. They are a 2021 Lambda Literary Fellow, and their writing has been featured in BuzzFeed, Out, The Guardian, Paste Magazine, and the academic journal Critical Ethnic Studies, among other publications. Previously, they were the managing editor of the Black Youth Project and a script consultant on the television series David Makes Man. Hari spends their all-too-rare free time trying to get their friends to give the latest generation of R&B starlets a chance and attempting to entertain their always very unbothered pitbull mix, Keone. Did I say that right? <laughs> and um, all right. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so good to be here. So um, we're going to quickly check in about what we're working on and then we'll spend the rest of the time on Hari. So Ange, what are you working on? Well, right now I'm mostly working on kind of prepping for a little screening next week here in Sebastopol um, at our local Grange. Yeah. More rural than a Grange. We're doing a backyard Um, backyard film screening. So And um, working on updating my CV. So, <laughs> enough said. <laughs> Which shouldn't be that creative, just to say. <laughs> Depending. Right. Um, and I am um, really just slammed, actually, with editing and um, and class prep for a bunch of stuff that is coming up. So, um, But I'm super grateful that when I have to push my writing aside a little bit, it's to read and think about writing for other people. So that's, right. that's fine. <laughs> it's all help. It's all feeding the thing eventually. Yeah. Um, hey, Harry, how about you? What are you working on right now? Um, I'm mainly still very much in the midst of uh, publicizing the book. Um, obviously, we're about two months out from launch now. So things are kind of slowing down, but still doing talks and interviews and readings here and there. Um, and I, we're also in talks um, with different production companies about potentially adapting the book. So we'll see if anything comes of that. Um, and then I've been having other TV meetings about different things that I potentially could develop. So um, we'll see how everything's in a very early stage. So it's not something I'm working on, but I hope I'll be working on these projects. There's also just the like visioning it. (laughs) Like I know this is going to (laughs) happen. Um, so, um, I'm curious just because you have a filmmaking and screenwriting background Mm -hmm. and, um, and then because the book is kind of a hybrid, I mean, it's memoir and it's, it's, but it also is to me, I mean, it's this deep analysis. It has like essayistic qualities. It's a letter to your younger self. I mean, it's, it's this layered, beautiful project. Do you have a vision of, of how that would translate into a visual medium? 
Yeah, um, I think with most of what I'm writing um, in general, like most of my screenplays have an element of like magical realism anyway. And so I think the book lends itself to a lot of ideas like the inner child being a physical manifestation as the main character is like walking through life and like they see this person and it's really just their imagination projecting. Um, But I think the main story is just, you know, about my experiences growing up in the Hare Krishna community, um, what it was like to enter the world in high school uh, and grow into my queerness and all of the tensions that arose with my families uh, and my mother in particular. Um, And then the reconciliation that happened with her as I was learning to, you know, reconcile with my own self and do my own healing work um, as she was working, uh, as she was dealing with her illness. Um, And so that's like the basic trajectory of of what I envision Mm -hmm. on the screen. Do you think there are ways to bring in, I mean, do you think the the ideas would be brought in that are through just, you know, I mean, there's always sort of always ideas behind any narrative, right? So that like, even if it, even if we just see the, not just, but if we see the scenes unfolding, the dynamics between, you know, the young Hari and the grown up Hari, the dynamics, between all, you know, obviously a lot of the ideas will come through, but do you have a, a sense of wanting to bring any of the ideas through more explicitly or... Yeah, I mean, I think that there is, when I think of like how I came to these ideas anyway, like they're always rooted in experiences. And Mm -hmm. so like, obviously my um, book deals a lot with policing and like um, the living in a carceral society. And so I would definitely focus more on like the relationships that I have with my cousin who's like locked up in order to bring out some of the uh, aspects of the book that were more journalistic when I'm talking mm-hmm. about statistics yeah. around policing. Um, and so there would definitely have to be specific relationships that we emphasize more in order to bring out that, uh, mm-hmm. those things. But I think it could all be told through the, through my story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how, the um, there are lots of ideas as we meet and talk about these so like I'm changing how I'm even conceiving of it um, but I think I think most of it could be told through through just analog- through just showing my relationships and showing the dynamics yeah yeah I mean I could definitely see a series <laughs> You could have like multiple things because you could have like a documentary, you know, and then you could have like a total narrative, you know, series. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely <laughs> thinking of like a TV series or a mini series. Um, right. It could also be a film um, as well. But yeah. uh, I, I would like to see it, you know, see that really explored through the course of a season. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'd like to see that. <laughs> Here's an odd question, but basically I know that, um, you know, writing the book and which was a faster route to getting more meetings, <laughs> writing the book or being a filmmaker? Meetings <laughs> <laughs> particularly about like TV stuff? Right, yeah. yeah um, the book. Yeah. <laughs> I've been, I had my agents for TV for about a year now and we've had meetings throughout the year um, but everything really picked up when the book came out mm-hmm. um, the way that Hollywood works is like they, they want to see that you can can tell a story that people are interested in and so um, that can look like a lot of different things can look like how many followers you have but it could also look like having a book out there that 
um, is resonating. Um, right. So that definitely made people perk up a little bit more when we sent, you know, my other samples and things out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I was just sort of, um, sort of thinking about that because a lot of times people, you know, we, we talk to a lot of book writers and there's always, Oh, publishing so hard right now. So hard to publish. And it's like, well, I think actually getting your film made or getting meetings is even more difficult. So, um, <laughs> first of all, competition. <laughs> no, but I think that, um, you know, I think thinking about stories and the creativity with which you've approached this book wouldn't necessarily, as you were saying, be clearly like, here's how I make a screenplay out of that, that people could necessarily see before from a screenplay. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So like the book was a step. Good. There's a way that books can be more interior, right. And yeah. more reflective, take different strands and weave them together. That can be harder to do mm-hmm. on the very kind of sparse screenplay page. Yeah. So, yeah. So. And that's been, I mean, that's been something that we've come up against in the meetings. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we like this. We like your story. We like your ideas. How does this look on the screen? And like, I, I've yeah. told you, I have ideas for that. Um, but that's still, I think, been the struggle. Like that's been the work. Right. Um, so, you have to get beyond just, you know, it's a good story. It's a good, uh, you're a good writer um, to like, how does this actually look on the screen? Yeah. And Sorry. I was just, I was so kind of blown away. So I will say I listened to the audiobook partly because that's just kind of my life right now is, is like a lot of, I'm running around dealing with, you know, the kitchen or whatever, <laughs> doing dishes. And so I like get to read through audiobooks, but um, well, first of all, Deshaun Terry, I thought was, great yes. as, I don't know if you got to like pick him as the reader or yeah they sent us um three different samples and immediately I was like shot <laughs> like, this is <laughs> great uh, I would have maybe at a different time like I would have tried to do it myself um but uh, outside of that he was like the perfect choice for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but I just, but I just loved as, you know, as the way that the, the, the sort of narrative strands and then the idea strands, like at the end, they just came together so that I could see that. So like, for example, you're very, um, I don't know if the, maybe you can help me. Like, I don't know what the word exactly is, but, but like sort of self-critical, like you're investigating your culpability in a lot of these moments, as mm-hmm. well as the ways in which maybe you weren't always well served by by some of them them would you use the word self critical or something else yeah i was going to go with <laughs> i don't think there's anything wrong with self critical but i i it, the word that immediately comes to mind the word that i use when i'm talking about it is being reflective i think critical can sometimes have that putative uh, it's like mm. you're <laughs> keeping yourself in check you did something wrong um but i think reflective it's like you can acknowledge when um you've been harmful um and and hold yourself accountable um without you know that kind of punitive component um, that i'm so critical of in the book <laughs> well and actually that's all, that's one of the things even though my language isn't catching up with it yet that i feel like i learned from the book because i kind of kept being like you know here is this like you know younger than me, sweet person, like doing this thing that I saw as sort of critical and then, and kind of wanting to sort of be like, no, no, (laughs) you know, and, and yet, um, and yet like to see that emerge as like this philosophy that would allow for 
kind of a less binary punitive system if, if everybody had the capability to, to do that kind of self-reflection and that the reflection isn't punitive, right? That the way I was seeing it as sort of punitive was like, was it the wrong lens or was a lens that could be, could, could grow. (laughs) Yeah. And I do. And I think that everybody does have that capacity. I think we've been living in a world. So all of us for so long that denies that part of us, but there are so many, I think anybody can point to at least one example in their life where they've done that. And so my hope is the book allows people to keep working on that process and bring that more into their life and, and realize that it's a practice. Like um, you have to continue working on it. It has to be a conscious part of how you're moving through the world. Um, but I think anyone can cultivate that um, because I've grown and I'm still growing in, in how to cultivate that. Um, I'm not always not punitive to myself or to others. And so um, it's a process for all of us. And, and that's what I hope the book um, allowed people to see when they're, they're done reading it. Yeah. I mean, I definitely felt like it was, it was like a workshop in how to do that. Well, even as I was like, I don't think that the point of this book is like to be a workshop for me and how to do this better, but I, (laughs) but I can still learn from it. And that's still a worthwhile thing for me to do, you know? And and yeah, I think, I mean, I definitely have a very specific audience um, in mind and mostly like, that's me. Like I'm writing to my youngest self because Mm. like I'm thinking, like who that would be but I think um anyone can learn but the beauty of telling stories that are very culturally specific and authentic is I think um there's always parts of that that's going to be universal I think we lose a lot like trying to be too universal at the expense of the authentic mm-hmm. um so the fact that you're able to learn is is and, and the fact that anyone's able to to learn from that even if it's not directly um directly directed to you is mm. is beautiful and that's exactly what I hope for. I actually yeah. just with regards to writing that letter to a younger self, when I'm working with students who sometimes are losing confidence, I will say there's somebody waiting for your work. Like, you know, they will start sort of slowing down, questioning themselves. And it's like, no, no, someone's waiting for that. They need to hear from you. How did using that kind of format to a younger self, uh, I assume every creative person loses confidence once in a while. So you can correct me if I'm wrong, but did that framework kind of help you through some of those natural confidence ebbs and flows that happen in creative work? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I was having, I had so many blockages um, throughout the process of writing this book. And we actually added the um, self-epistolary chapters maybe about halfway in towards the end of the book process. And I was like, oh, like this is so helpful in exactly doing that because um, I could like externalize the parts of me that were struggling with it and put on, you know, uh, I could talk with the lens of like, I'm caring for this part that's struggling with this creative process. And like, what would I say to someone that I love? Um, which can be really helpful. Like I don't really, we don't always think about ourselves as like someone that we love, (laughs) Um, especially when we're very self-critical and we struggle with anxiety. Um, and, uh, which is one of the reasons why I prefer self-reflective than self-critical because I have been very critical of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, that's definitely was really helpful 
um, with writing the book um, and then inner child work in general. Like I put it in the book because it's been helpful with me outside of the book as well. Um, in, in doing that same work. Like it's not just something that I did for the book. Um, so yeah, yeah, that was really, really helpful. I know you teach a workshop for black creative nonfiction writers in the digital space, like dealing with white editors and sort of segueing from, you know, your unintended audience and your intended audience. Um, May, I just thought maybe it would be if you could say a few things about that for our listeners who might and, and our students who might be helped by kind of, you know, thinking about how to navigate those spaces and stay in touch with like your your authentic audience, but also being aware that you're caught in this whole system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a whole workshop worth of um, <laughs> material and probably even more than that. But I, one of the things that um, has been really um, crucial to to all of my work is 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 navigating that like balancing the fact that we live in in uh we're in work in a space where it's mostly white and that's pretty much every space um and how do you keep that part of you that's authentic um with uh, in balance with you know we still have to get published we still need to pay to get paid um and a lot of that is just you know knowing how editing editors minds work um, knowing how to push back, um, offering other suggestions when you do push back, um, knowing how to say no. I think a lot of young writers are just afraid of saying no. Um, and, and we do have the power to do that, um, especially if you are going to offer alternatives. Um, and then what I was saying earlier about how to like mine the universal out of authentic experiences. I mean, so much of how I navigate working through, um, working with with other people and like expressing a, a an idea that you know they might not have gotten initially because it's not their experiences mm-hmm. is rooting it in a, a personal story um and so i talk about the importance of that um how to use the personal s- story to to speak to larger social issues um and yeah it's been really helpful got really great feedback in the few times that we've ran that workshop um and so i, I I hope it's been helpful to other young writers because I struggled with that so much earlier mm-hmm. on in my career. Um, and it's always good to have someone who's gone through that before you. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I definitely struggle with that as a queer writer. And I remember when my first, when my first and currently only published book went out in the late nineties that my agent kept sending it to these young straight women. And I was like, and at that moment, historical moment, like I was like, don't, they're, they're going to be afraid to publish it because they're going to think it makes them seem queer. Like that was the moment we were in, you know? And so she finally sent it to this like straight man and he published it. And I was like, he's not a peer. People aren't going to think like he's queer because he publishes my lesbian book, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's, but it's such a different, really different world now. I well, think. the part, there's also like that whole dynamic though, this sense that if you miss this opportunity, this is your window to get into being published, to get your work out there. And it's that whole idea that there's things you have to do, right. To get from one place to another and you don't have control over that. And I love the key thing that you were offering in in just that one point of, you don't have to just say no, you can actually say, okay, here's some other ways we can approach that uh, that are appropriate to the story I'm trying to tell mm-hmm. and maybe can meet some of your concerns. Right. right? And um, so I appreciated that piece a lot. 
Yeah, that's probably the most significant piece um, in dealing with editors that has been helpful for me. Um, and it's interesting because at least in digital publishing, like they, they won't always tell you that. Um, and so it's mm-hmm. like a skill you kind of have to cultivate. Um, and once you start seeing how they respond to that. Um, and so I wish more editors would, would say that up front, but it's, it's definitely a useful tool to keep in, in your bag. Mm-hmm. How about as an editor, do you try to kind of bring, bring those dynamics out yeah. more? Yeah. As an editor, like I, whenever I send back notes, I'm like, if you, I always do it in, um, uh, with the track changes on, I'm like, if you have an alternative or you, you want to reject this, just tell me why. And we'll try to figure out, um, something that fits your vision, um, and also meets my concerns. And obviously like, if it's something that I think is like, if I take something out, um, and it's not clear why I'll try to explain that a little bit too, so that they can understand where I'm coming from and it offer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's not that's how a I, very generous edit <laughs> just yeah, to yeah. say, yes. But I um, but it's been, I love working with writers. I love bringing out the best of their work. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, a little bit, it takes a little bit more when, from the editor, but it's always worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this book was written in part during the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic is in the book, right? Yeah. And then it got released during the pandemic too. So yeah, how was, how was that? Yeah, well, next year, it'll still be during the pandemic. I guess. Yeah. But <laughs> no, no. Um, it was interesting. I mean, one of the things that um, was fascinating about this, the pandemic, and I'll write about it more some days, that it was also I was dealing with my mother's health decline. Yeah. Uh, and so I was obviously like feeling the stress of, of living through this time, but so much of it was rooted in her. And like I moved down to North Carolina and helped to take care for her uh, up until she passed at the end of last year. Uh, and so, yeah, I. I the pandemic wasn't the thing that made the book process that changed the book process Mm -hmm. that much. Um, It was more so my mother. Um, Touring the book during the pandemic has been really interesting. Obviously everything is virtual now, um, which has been um, a gift in that it like makes everything more accessible to people, but it's also um, this, the book is already so much, it's already a lot of emotional. There's a lot of that when we're talking about it and it, it makes it a lot more draining to do it through the screen 10 times a week. Um, so yeah, touring it during the pandemic has been interesting. Um, but yeah, I think so much of the book deals with, you know, feeling isolated and feeling stuck anyway. And so when I started writing the book, um, and incorporating the pandemic into it was kind of very seamless. <laughs> like, this like, is a perfect <laughs> metaphor. Yeah. Does it sound weird? No. no. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Also, I just, I mean, I think it's, you probably aren't getting the energy back. Like if you were mm. reading to an audience, mm-hmm. you would just feel like a live audience. You just feel like the, that energy of, you know, what they're getting and then returning to you. And I think zoom doesn't always carry. That. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, it's only recently started to, to, to get to me, um, or, or not get to me. It's just, it's, I've, I, I'm aware that this is 
drain is taking my energy and I'm not always getting much back what I'm doing readings, but also things are slowing down now that we're two months out. So it's been fine, but yeah, it's been interesting. I miss being in, in, in person with people. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess then that leads to the natural question. No pressure. Next big project. <laughs> well, hopefully one of these TV things right. will, will come to fruition. Um, but other than that, um, I hope to, to get it a rest. There's a lot happening in my personal life this year. Um, I'm getting married in July. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And so, um, going to keep doing these meetings, but I'm not going to start another book or <laughs> try to like find a job. Um, right now, at least, uh, I'd rather just try and rest until something in TV comes. Yeah. Comes to fruition. Well, plus if you work in memoir, you're in a way you're doing research by, mm-hmm. you know, living your life. Living the life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if the next project would be more though. Yeah. Yeah. I heard you on a podcast saying you were also interested in fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Even if I, like if a book is in the near future, it'd probably be fiction. Right on. All right. It is time for steal this professional poets, amateur poets, and professional poets steal (laughs) (laughs) said many different people. Um, What, what have you come across in your wanderings and readings that you would like to take and make your own? And I don't know if you want to go first, Harry, or if you want us to go first, (laughs) up to you. Well, I, I will say, um, one of the things I loved in your book, and I guess I think steal might be the wrong word, but and I don't think you can steal someone's sort of wit. But one of the moments that I loved was we're getting toward the end of the book and I, I was listening to it, right? But I knew we were getting toward the end. And there's a moment with Hari, the character, uh, talking to their therapist about kind of ending the book and, and about the work with the child, you know, self and all of that. And then the therapist, I think, I think her pronoun is she, like looks at her watch and is like... Well, it's the, that's the end of our time. <laughs> and it was this wonderful moment of like, how do I end the book? How do I end this work? And then it's like, oh, that's just the end. Like that would come to our 50 minutes. <laughs> and it was sort of just this clever way of bringing into the scene kind of all of those deeper questions um, and also kind of amusing. So anyway, I loved that. And I just, I love that about the book, just the way that at the end it was like, oh, so non-binary is also about you know, the abolition, about the abolition of prisons and policing and, it, you know, and then child, I mean, just, there was just so many ways that, that all the strands came together beautifully. So I, I aspire to that kind of weave. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had a tennis lesson this morning and I have a tendency to run right at the tennis ball and like overcompensate and then like end up in this really weird shape. So what we focused on today <laughs> was me uh, actually moving like towards the net, but away from the ball so that I'm actually distanced. And it turns out that if I stopped gripping my racket super, super hard and doing all this crazy stuff, and boy, I would do some crazy things. Um, it would just became 
so much easier and the ball would go so much harder across the net. And so everything that I wanted was kind of counterintuitive. And so like what I want to sort of steal right now is I think I'm, I'm trying to worry art into the world. I'm trying to <laughs> shove education into the world. And the truth is like, maybe if I'm just me in the, and instead of running at it, give space between the things that I would like to see in the world and myself, it will be a more fluid process. So that's what I'm stealing for today. Um, I'm going to say that too, but uh, <laughs> because I know you all expect it in my own unique way. Yeah. Um, I guess I was thinking about this the whole time because I'm like, what would I steal? One of the things that um, I've been introduced to a lot through my friend Amber Butts is like the importance of rest. And like, she's mm-hmm. always remind, like, if I ever say I'm tired, she's like, don't do anything today or she'll just, she works for me at race Bader too. And she's very good about this. Be like, Oh, I can't do anything today. And like, it doesn't affect our work or anything, but she'll just take time off. Um, and I'm so hard on myself when I'm not working, um, that it's very difficult for me to do that. So I want to incorporate rest more mm-hmm. into my work. Um, one of the things that when people ask me, like, if you could add anything to the book now, what would you do? I think one of the chapters to my younger self would just be rest. Like you yeah. can breathe. Um, and so that's what I want to do. I, I don't want to feel like I'm always burned out by the time I finish a project. And sometimes that's not, I don't have a lot of control over because, you know, capitalism, but yeah. when I do have that control, I want to take that. Oh my gosh. I love that. (laughs) I mean, I feel like at this point people are talking about sleep as a productivity activity. You know, you're like, you're like, no, like rest is this fundamental thing. I love that. I really love that. Um, so where can people find you and your work? You can find me on um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Hariziad, it's my name. And uh, that's also my website, hariziad.com. Um, yeah, I've also run the site Race Bader. So if you want to go to see what we're doing there, Race Bader, um, without an E before the last R.com. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much and you can buy the book wherever you buy books um, online, um, order it through your local bookstore, your local yeah. libraries, um, or on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. And audio too. <laughs> yes. Um, fabulous. Well, all of those links will be in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also you did write a beautiful essay about your mother's passing. Um, so I'll put a link to that. Um, in the show notes as well. I, it's sort of, you're sort of like, okay, this is a memoir. So I want to think of this as just a character, but I also want to know what happened to this character after the yeah. book. So anyway, I'm sorry about your mom. And I, it's wonderful that you wrote this beautiful book. I, I, I guess she knew that was happening, right? Yeah. She was able to uh, hold a copy before mm. she finished reading it, but she had also read all of the chapters that were about her before like I showed it to her before we even put it in the book. So mm. uh, you got to see it. So that was good. That's really good. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. <laughs> well, right, thank you so yeah. much for sharing your beautiful work with us in the world and coming on Storymaker Show. Thank you. This was really great. Um, glad to be here. Mm. That's nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you too. All right. <laughs> 